Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Go in Peace, a daily podcast from the Houghton College Chapel Office, where each day we take a look at one of our college lectionary texts, and we ponder provocative thoughts so that we can truly go in peace to love and serve the Lord. My name is Michael Jordan, and I'm Dean of the Chapel here at Houghton, and I'm glad to walk with you through our texts for the week. And this week we're looking at the theme of freedom and responsibility. Um, each of these uh, different themes kind of has a different backstory, and in this case, um, we used to have a week on campus that we called Praxis. It was kind of a special week of thinking about a particular issue and how it relates to our life together. And one of the years, that theme was freedom and responsibility, and so um, we picked out some texts kind of based on that, and then each year since then, we've just kind of included it in our prayer practice. So, as always, you can find our lectionary online. If you go to houghton.edu and click on Spiritual Life, you can find it there. And um, so each week there's, er, sorry, for each day there's a psalm reading, an Old Testament reading, and a New Testament reading. And so today's readings are from Psalm 146, the book of Nahum 1, 2 through 10, and Luke 4, 14 to 30. So if you'd like to read those, uh, you can certainly pause the player and then come back. Uh, Today I'll just be sharing thoughts on the reading from the book of Nahum. And uh, today is Nahum Day for us, so in case you didn't know this, uh, as I put together the readings each year, uh, I'm committed to having each book of the scripture read, so that if you were to come to morning prayer or afternoon prayer every single day for a year, you would hear all 66 books of the Bible uh, being read. And different books have different challenges uh, to get in there. Obviously, books like the Gospels we get in fairly easily, and most of the New Testament books are fairly easy to work in. Uh, Some of the books are so short, like for 2nd and 3rd John, we have to think kind of creatively about how we're going to uh, get those in, and I believe we even read from 2nd and 3rd John on the same day, um, just having a little bit from uh, from each of those books. Um, Song of Solomon poses some uh, interesting difficulties. I think we had Song of Solomon earlier this semester, so finding just the right day to talk about Song of Solomon is there. Uh, and Nahum also has its uh, its difficulties. It, Nahum, uh, I, I'm a huge fan of the Minor Prophets. Um, I of, often feel like the Minor Prophets give us uh, all the stuff of the Major Prophets, but without um, some of the longer prophecies that take a longer time to kind of wade through. Um, so they're, they're wonderful books. And Nahum, of course, is a wonderful book. I would never say that a book of the Bible isn't. But it's also a book without a whole lot of hope. Uh, it's a book without a whole lot of kind of uh, nice passages. It's, it's a book with a lot of challenging language about uh, God's anger and destruction that's going to come. And so uh, it can be a challenge to sort of think through, okay, how am I going to fit this in? Um, you know, because we, we don't have a whole week on God's wrath, for instance. Uh, so it's, it's a challenge to think about how to work Nahum in. But I chose this week uh, based on freedom and responsibility just because I think, well, I'll explain why, but let me read to you just a bit of the scripture first. So again, Nahum 1, 2 through 10. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and rages against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry, and he dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the bloom of Lebanon fades. 
The mountains quake before him and the hills melt. The earth heaves before him, the world and all who live in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and by him the rocks are broken in pieces. The Lord is good, a stronghold on the day of trouble. He protects those who take refuge in him, even in a rushing flood. He will make a full end of his adversaries, and will pursue his enemies into darkness. Why do you plot against the Lord? He will make an end. No adversary will rise up twice. Like thorns they are entangled, like drunkards they are drunk, they are consumed like dry straw. And again, you can hear just in those nine verses, you get one verse that you might sort of uh, find appropriate to put on a, I don't know, a greeting card or something. Verse seven, the Lord is good, a stronghold on a day of trouble. He protects those who take refuge in him, even in a rushing flood. But immediately after that, we get back to, he will make a full end of his adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. The reason, of course, that we include Nahum this week is because freedom and responsibility, um, like there's a responsibility half to this. We, we are responsible to God. Uh, we answer to a powerful God. And this is something that um, is very important, I think, especially for those of us who are professional Christians. I say that tongue in cheek. But for those of us who would dare get into the pulpit and speak for God, um, it's tremendously important to remember that um, we, we cannot follow the vain imaginings of our hearts. We're accountable to God for the things that we say. This is a real challenge to me um, because I'm very naturally a person who likes connecting with other people. And I think like a lot of pastors, um, I got into the work I did in part because I, I very much enjoy helping people and I enjoy kind of uh, even the process of watching them be helped and kind of grow and um, usually that involves healing of relationships, it involves people who were previously alienated from themselves even uh, to become reconnected with who God has made them to be and then uh, live a life of reconciliation with other people. And so uh, because we like that so much it can bleed over into an uncomfortable need to have in interpersonal harmony uh, all the time. And a uh, you know, verses 7 and 8 certainly make plain that, that God is good and that his heart is for those who trust in him. Um, but it's also important for us to remember there are genuine consequences to not following God. Um, that, that our lives, again, depending on how you process this, I know a variety of Christians will process this in different ways, but that when we fail to follow God, we also fail to enjoy all the good things he has for us uh, in our lives, all the good things he wants to give us. So it's really important that we we take care that we are not working at cross purposes with God. You know that that we we don't just sort of um, say whatever sort of seems right to us in a moment. I've become really aware um, in recent weeks, just been thinking a lot about how people make decisions about what's right and what's wrong, and. I shouldn't say I've come to a conclusion about this because I think I'll be thinking about it my whole life, but one thing I've been realizing is how many people make decisions about right and wrong, not based on anything that they've kind of discovered in scripture or through careful prayer, but often simply because of the tools of shame that a community uses to sort of encourage them towards behavior that's right or wrong. Um, you know, there are powerful forces in churches that make people feel shame about things that are not truly shameful. 
Like in my tradition, for example, we, we value um, the role of women in ministry, not just allowing women into ministry, but saying the ministry is better when there are women in it. Um, but there are many women who feel a great deal of shame at needing to lead public ministry or feel a great deal of shame at really exercising their authority over people in any way. And that's in part due to just kind of residual shame that's been shared with them by their communities. And of course, you know, as we look at the wider world too, this is not just a problem in the church, but the way that the world wields tools of shame to sort of encourage people towards certain behavior and encourage people away from other behavior. Um, shaming is an extremely effective tool. We can see that in some, even some positive ways. Like we think about the way in which cigarette smoking, for example, is, has increasingly been understood as something shameful. And so because of that, people have stopped smoking, which is great. Uh, but we also need to realize, uh, wow, those gears grind in both directions. And it's, uh, it's very possible that we could learn to think of something as shameful that's not truly shameful. Um, or we could learn to be unashamed of things that should carry some kind of sense of these things are wrong. And so uh, we need to be very careful um, when we're sort of announcing something as right or wrong, that we are not just sort of responding to ideas that have been given to us by communities which have a vested interest in us thinking a certain way. Again, that can cut both ways. It can be things that are traditionally conservative or traditionally liberal. We answer to God, and God is the one who kind of sets a course for us. Uh, and when we plot against God, even if we're doing so to kind of preserve ourselves against shame of others, when we, when we fail to live the life that God has for us, there are consequences to it. Again, we don't need to envision God as kind of angrily doling out those consequences for us just to realize we miss out on what God has for us when we allow others to sort of dictate our sense of right and wrong. That's an incredible challenge. Like if you were to follow that to its logical conclusion, we could spend our whole lives really struggling with how we make decisions of right and wrong and, and uh, how often it, we follow things, not simply because God has said so, but because we have their, our internal barometer is off. So I'm going to pray that um, we're sensitive to those things in our lives. Like I say, these aren't things that are generally worked out in a crisis moment or in one day. These are things that we have to discover throughout our lives. And so I'm going to pray that God's Holy Spirit is with us during that journey. God, we acknowledge how often we, um, we allow others to sort of dictate what's right and what's wrong, um, not simply because uh, your word says so or because we're receiving reliable teaching, but because of the powerful tools of shame that are in our culture that make us feel like we're less than, um, that, that encourage us towards certain behaviors and away from others. And we know that those tools can be used by people who are not necessarily pushing for your kingdom. And indeed, that we ourselves can use the tools of shame in powerful ways against the people uh, that we love and care for. So we pray, God, that you will make us accountable to you. Help us to realize um, in this text that makes us sort of sit up straight and take notice and remember uh, your holiness and your power. Help us to remember, God, that you want the best for us and that you, when you give us a sense of what's right and what's wrong, you do that in a way uh, so that we can be reconciled to you and to each other and ultimately to ourselves to live the life, the good life you have for us. We pray you'll be with us today and we ask this through Christ. Amen. Well, as always, I'm glad to talk with you, and uh, feel free to shoot me an email, michael.jordan at houghton.edu. Would be glad to talk with you. Uh, until tomorrow, go in peace to love and serve the Lord.